This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name and will give you 13 reasons why that's true. Hey, it doesn't always have to be all jokes around here, okay? My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com, as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like. For Couch Potatoes Unite, we're all about the wonders and unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU exclamation point hopes you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays and as always we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panels and I live lives behind our podcast the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or the podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon Music basically anywhere you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water including but not limited to Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, American Horror Story, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Charmed, Riverdale, Outlander, This Is Us, Altered Carbon, The Orville, and The Arrowverse or CWverse on The CW. Plus new episodes are in the works including revisits for Doctor Who, The Hundred, The Crown, Supernatural, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, The Breaking Better series will launch into discussion of the first two seasons of Better Call Saul. We'll be launching new panels covering Big Little Lies, Call the Midwife, The Animaniacs, Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, and Cobra Kai. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll thank the Golden Girls for being friends. We'll cry Bazinga for Big Bang Theory. We'll dive deep into the fantasy world of the magicians. We'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation. And we'll become psychos for Psych. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from Mungers, comedy shows, Comic-Cons, and game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in these semi-quarantine times. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to our website, YouTube channel, Apple iTunes channel, Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear your show in this podcast format, fellow panels and I still write reviews and we always seek new panelists. So if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of the outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback, but you don't have to hold a boycott, a walkout, or otherwise protest. Just tweet at us at CBU Podcast. 
very simple. Today we continue a new companion feature on CPU exclamation point. You might be aware that we have a feature entitled Shark Jumpers Anonymous, which was developed because, as probability might allow, there are times when CPU will stop ongoing coverage of a show because not only are no new panelists interested in it anymore, but even the panelists who have been talking about it on this humble little podcast have lost interest too, for whatever reason, whether it be a decline in quality, an erratic story direction, an offensive development, or some other something not able to be quantified or described. The feature is designed to give the panel closure for them as well as for any listener still interested in hearing episodes about that show. In some instances, there might be one or two panelists or a lonely moderator who intends to complete the show. After all, the moderators tend to be the most devoted to the series in question and or are simply completionists. This moderator is guilty of such a trait, though I have been known to jump the sharks too. Because of their dedication and perseverance and in the interest of scientific inquiry, CPU wanted to gauge if the effort of completing the watch is worth it by the end to see if the shark jumpers were too hasty in fitting those water skis. To that end, we continue with our third episode of our Shark Jumpers Anonymous companion feature, Final Thoughts. In this feature, those who have jumped the shark have long been in the rearview mirror, but those who stayed loyal to the show in question, for whatever motivation, are invited back to offer any words they want, in whatever format they want, for the purpose of commenting on whether they think the show is worth the watch in the end. Let's face it, most often the commenter will probably be me, and or will probably be alone, though not always. Sometimes there might be two people having a conversation. CPU exclamation point does run panels of a minimum of three people, including the moderator. The show we're revisiting today is 13 Reasons Why, which was our fifth show to undergo Shark Jumpers Anonymous treatment. CPU last covered 13 Reasons Why following season two in May of 2019. The remaining constituent members of this panel, namely Kristen, Jeremy, Emily, and Amy, recorded two prior episodes about this show covering the first two seasons. For a detailed plot summary of the show in general, search our website via the dialogue box in the upper right-hand corner, the picture with the couch full of TV watchers. Following the release of season three, our panel reconvened one last time to record Shark Jumpers Anonymous interviews, which were published in June 2020. At the time, four of five panelists jumped the shark. It was like the biggest exodus we've ever had. The lone panelist who remained, also the moderator, and guess who it is? Yep, you're right, it's me. I'm that moderator again. Probability would have favored that guess, but I'm going to let you have it. Well, since then, life went on. 13 Reasons Why ended after the release of its fourth and final season on June 5th, 2020. Thus, I did the time, I have the opinions, and as always, here I am, back again, and I'm presenting my final thoughts about 13 Reasons Why. I cannot think of a more controversial show that CPU has covered since our inception. It was first going to be a project that hopefully we were able to connect with some of the cast members on, but then 13 Reasons Why got very, very popular very, very quickly, and any opportunity we had to speak to them kind of evaporated as they started to do press for the second season. But we did do full, complete reviews for season one and season two, and you can find them in our archives at the website or on YouTube. Ultimately, the panel was pretty universal about season one. They thought it was compelling, buzzworthy, it sucked you in quickly, it was engaging, it was riveting, it was uncompromising, almost unflinchingly uncompromising, which is some of what the ensuing controversy was about. Some of our panelists read the book and really enjoyed 
how the book was adapted to the screen for the first season. Some of us who didn't read the book really enjoyed the aesthetic of the show and how the music and some of the turnabout of the teen genre, if you will, really reflected on the Generation X experience because the parents of the adolescent characters in the show would have been Gen X characters. And it, it could have been a very clever device to make it a family viewing event, but for some of the things that happened. Everybody agreed that the acting talent was great. The topics were complex and not often portrayed in such an in-your-face and graphic way as they were in the first season of this show. And everybody also really loved the unique form of storytelling with the theme that plays, and then in that first season you get the sides of each of the cassette tapes and Hannah telling her story, and sort of that first-person omniscient kind of voice that permeates throughout those 13 episodes. We then moved on to season two. Some of us appreciated the attempts made in season two. Some of us didn't. Some of us liked the fact that Hannah's story was finished out in a way. Some of us didn't like the fact that Hannah's story was undermined by what was told in season two. Some of our panelists thought that season two was a money grab, that it was forced just so that they could kind of squeeze blood from a turnip, and that that only seemed to get worse as they compounded it with adding additional seasons. Some of our panelists felt that the show lost focus because no longer did it have the source book on which to base its adaptation. And so the writers were wholly responsible for continuing the story. And in such an area of heavy subject matter that was related to sexual assault, but didn't just stop there. It explored teen subjects and sometimes just for the sake of it, which made it feel pedantic and it made it feel almost insincere in how it was presenting it. Some of the panelists started to talk about how season two pulled in scenarios from current events just to force a mold fitting, to tell the teen experience, if you will, of now, but in a way that felt almost too exaggerated to be believable. Even though there was grains of truth, because the teen experience is somewhat universal across time, but for the fact that society has changed, that there are pressures with social media and kind of a world that is unfiltered and how people speak to each other and how people are unable to disagree and how maybe bullying situations are just as horrific and toxic and harming as they used to be, but they've taken on new shapes, ways, and forms for new generations. Some of our panelists describe season two as feeling like an after-school special or that it was maybe better off as an anthology series where each season had a different cast that told a different story that focused on a different issue facing teens today. One of our panelists even thought that something was beautiful that was beautiful about season one was ruined by the fact that they kept going. Others felt that it ended where it was supposed to end, at least as far as Hannah's story, at the end of season two. By the time Netflix greenlit a season three, though, our panelists were lost. They did not want to come along for this ride. They did not want to be part of this conversation. They didn't want to jump topics. The end of season two forecasted the possibility of a school shooting, with the fact that the character of Tyler brought multiple guns to the school dance, the season-ending school dance, and it almost as if he was going to go in and use them, but was stopped by Clay Jensen, who is played by 
Dylan Minette and that the story was going to deviate then from Hannah into this entirely new thing. Not to mention the fact that the second season kind of broached topics that were not specific just to Hannah and Bryce, who was played by Justin Prentice, the person who facilitated the sexual assault, and sort of the ancillary characters that are all addressed in Hannah's different tapes. When this was forecasted and when this end of season came about, our panelists just were not into it. They did not want any part of it. Many of them were already feeling dissatisfied with the fact that there was some almost a victim-blaming aspect to the second season, which we all thought or maybe theorized that the second season was about showing that there are many layers to human beings. Even if those human beings do horrible things like Bryce or suffer horrible tragedy like Hannah, that not neither one of them is all good or bad or black or white. The problem is that the story told in season one was told very purposefully and from the narrative of Hannah's point of view. Whereas the second season lost some of that mechanic, it converted to the Polaroids rather than Hannah's voice. And it almost villainized Hannah for making complex decisions and suggesting that maybe she walked herself into what happened to her, which is a complex issue, particularly when the show was under fire for not doing enough to warn or reach viewers with the sense that there was going to be some very in-your-face depictions, not only of assault, but also of suicide and its ideation. There was drug use. There, In the second season, there turned out to be other forms of assault that weren't just, you know, certain types of forced intercourse. And with all of that rolled up into it, our panelists, as they explain in the, in the Shark Jumpers Anonymous episode, and even somewhat in the season two episode, they just, they, they couldn't hold on anymore. There was a couple of them that might have kept going if they had others to kind of share in their misery, if you will. But when everybody left or when they started to fall off, it was it almost was like the mass walkout that you see in season four of the show. They were not interested in completing the story. And really, they, they just felt there was no further reason to watch. Too much of it felt revisionist. A lot of it was messy. Their suspension of disbelief was undermined. And there was no source material for season two. It didn't get better, so they really thought it was about to get worse. I often ask in the Shark Jumpers Anonymous interviews, what are some of the pros, top three pros? What are some of the cons? You know, everybody agreed that the storytelling in season one was really good. The character development in season one was really good. The cast performances and much of the casting, not all of the casting, the aesthetic, the music, and the fact that it provoked a difficult conversation. But a con on the flip side is it didn't know how to handle or execute the difficult conversation in the end. The writing was uneven. They forced things by continuing for seasons that they didn't need. They delayed their use of trigger warnings and only included them after they were criticized for not having them. There was forced dynamics between the adults and the adolescent characters that made it feel after school special. And that after school special feeling kind of undercut the realness and the seriousness and the graphicness of the things they were covering in the series. So when all was said and done, our panelists 
basically they they, they had kind of had it. You know, they, they weren't really interested in following the creator. Maybe some of the cast members interested them. You know, they, they talked about how one of the other questions I ask is, you know, would you recommend this even in part? If yes, which part? If not, what would you recommend instead? And I got feedback that people would recommend Riverdale instead, which is not exactly highbrow teen entertainment, but it's self-aware and tongue-in-cheek and trashy and it knows it. So Riverdale is, I guess, in some ways more entertaining. There was an upvote for Nancy Drew. There was an upvote for In the Dark. So basically switching from Netflix to the CW, you're going to be better off. Other panelists basically said, you know, just watch season one or watch season two up until the point at which Tyler starts to find and and kind of grow accustomed and and desirous of using guns. And that's, that's kind of where the praise stopped. Everything after that, they lost interest. Of course, I kept going, as I am wont to do. I, I can't just drop something unless there is a very compelling reason for me to decide to jump the shark. I've only jumped the shark on a handful of shows, and I can tell you exactly the points at which that happened. Desperate Housewives I didn't finish because of the stupid tornado. I didn't want to follow, make a big time jump leap to a post-tornado destruction of the Desperate Housewives Wisteria Lane. I jumped the shark on Grey's Anatomy. Sandra O oh left. Christina Yang was my favorite character. I wasn't about to watch God knows how many more seasons of this show when my favorite character was off of it. I guess I didn't have the same investment in 13 Reasons Why. There was there are parts of it that I really, really like. I'm sort of the, the voter for the music. I really enjoy the soundtrack of this show. I really enjoy the fact that they do delve into topics and they don't do it in a corny or cheesy way. One of the better parts of the last season, season four, is that they finally address the mental health issues that Clay is struggling with and that it goes beyond the cause and effect of Hannah's suicide, that there are things that are and have been brewing for him over a period of years, that he's only just now undergoing therapy because he for because he's acting out in ways that are destructive, not only to himself, but to those around him. I enjoy the different relationships on the show. I think one of the most compelling reasons to watch is the brotherhood that forms between Clay and Justin Foley, who's played by Brandon Flynn, who the Jensen's adopt when his mom kind of abandons him for a life of drug use and possibly sale. You know, there are there are pieces of this show and there are delightful actors, young and older, on this show that kept me interested. And yet, I've completed all four seasons of 13 Reasons Why. I am not in the target audience of this show. I have not been a teenager in, well, that's been a couple of decades. And to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure why I finished the show when all is said and done, other than I am a completionist and that's kind of what I do. You know, the question that we come to in a final thoughts is, the ultimate question is, would you recommend it? Is it worth finishing the show in the end? Is it worth completing the series despite the fact that so many people stopped watching, that there was so much that disappointed them or angered them to the point of not wanting to follow these characters or this story to its fruition, to the to its completion? And I think there are other shows that 
we've had shark jumpers on that I can honestly say I think they should regret it if they don't. And I think they they're wrong, or at least, you know, their opinions are not as valid as mine. Just kidding. Everybody's feelings and opinions are valid. I think maybe they're a little harsh and unfair, depending upon what it is. As I sit here today, my final thoughts on 13 Reasons Why are that the four panelists who abandoned me, who have forced me into this final thought situation because of my own particular compulsion to finish a show, well, they might have been right, ultimately. In fact, they're so right that I have taken the time to prepare 13 Reasons Why One Should Not Watch 13 Reasons Why. Yes, it's gimmicky, but I'm going to do it this way. And if you like it, tweet at a CPU podcast. That would be very awesome. But I'm going to give you 13 reasons why it's probably not worth watching 13 reasons why. And you can feel free to disagree with me. In fact, I would love to know if you do, if you made it through to the end of this series. First of all, I want to know how old you are. Second, I want to know what compelled you to finish the series and then third, I want to know why you disagree with me. So tweet at us, send us a PM on Facebook, send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram, find us at the website. We have a guest book. We have comment section for the rich post for this episode. Please do tell me. But I, I, I have to agree with my fellow panelists who are no longer 13 Reasons Why panelists. And here are 13 Reasons Why I agree with them and don't think you should watch 13 Reasons Why. The first is, if there are only 13 Reasons Why, why did there have to be 13 Reasons Why Not? If there were 13 Reasons Why Hannah ultimately decided to end her own life, why did we have to learn 13 Reasons Why she was not, I guess, the perfect angel or poster child victim or whatever the bend of the second season was in the end. It did feel like Netflix was milking the show. It was drawing from a source it didn't have. The writers didn't know how to handle taking the story beyond where the end of the book went. And as the show kept going into seasons three and into season four, there were other interesting characters, but they hadn't spent the same time developing those characters as they had Hannah, Clay, and possibly Justin. And then making Bryce a sympathetic character was a tough sell. And that is much of what season three is about. I really wanted to come along for that ride. And maybe it's not as simple to say that some people are heroes and some people are villains and that everybody is just a gray, that there's nobody who's black or white, good or evil. But Bryce is not somebody who... I, I don't think there was a light in which you could paint him as sympathetic, per se. You could suggest he was mentally ill. You could suggest that he had other issues. But... Was he really on a path of atonement? Did he really regret what he did? That's what season three delves into. After season two, in which Hannah was vilified during his trial. And then you get into season four, which, spoiler, this is after Alex Standall, who was played by Miles Heiser, manslaughters, essentially, Bryce. It's covered up by his sheriff father. And then we have to spend the fourth season living with his memory and figuring out how these kids who've done some really terrible things all told. It's kind of strains credulity a little bit because sure, teens make bad choices and do bad things, but these teens made a lot of bad choices and did a lot of bad things. It just felt like it was too much. It stretched it way too thin. It was way 
way past its expiration date. Ultimately, 13 Reasons Why should have just been 13 reasons, 13 episodes only. Reason two, the show's a mess. Look, teen properties have been teaching us that life is messy for decades. There are bullies. There are unseen horrors. There are things that we shouldn't have to confront as non-adults or young adults, but we have to. And this is true across all generations since the beginning of time. This show takes it to the extreme that felt purposeful in the first season, but it meandered way off course in the later seasons. And again, if they had maybe been a little bit more purposeful about creating an anthology kind of series where maybe each season purposefully focused on one character and their problems and how the orbit of the other characters was affected, which I think it was going for, but it didn't ultimately translate, that would be one thing. But they were so busy kind of creating the soap opera behind the show, it just felt messy and it didn't feel satisfying by the end. It almost feels, it's almost sad because one of the longest episodes that we ever recorded for CPU was our recap and review of the first season. It was three hours long because we had so much to say and it wasn't all positive and glowing. Some of it was quite pointed and critical, but it provoked that conversation. None of the other seasons do that, not in the same way. So that brings me to third, the third of the 13 reasons. This show can start a tough conversation, but it never learned how to finish it. It talked about things to talk about them. It did it for the sake of it, and it didn't consider the consequences of that. You know, it is ultimately a television show, and it is ultimately for entertainment value. But being on Netflix, there are no rules. They can do whatever it wants so long as they, they slap enough warnings and ratings on it. I just think it was... If it wanted to be trashy, it should have just been trashy from the start. The book isn't trashy, though. I think it just comes back to maybe they should have kept it at one season. Reason number four. It engages in a weird cycle of victim blaming, empathy for those who engage in assault, empathy for those who actually kill people or manslaughter them. I guess it would be manslaughter. It's true that victims and those who commit assaults are three-dimensional people and that these situations can be more complicated and less straightforward. But again, it, go it goes back to how the show handles the conversation around these ideas. It felt all too sensationalized, all too glorified, and not in any way thoughtful in how it presented those conversations. And maybe it didn't want to be thoughtful, except that the first season started off that way. So it was really like watching two different shows. There was season one, which was a thoughtful drama with really good acting and writing because the book gave them that backbone. And then there were seasons two, three, and four, where it felt like your typical trashy, soapy teen drama with some really highbrow elements, but it, it lacked the cohesion of, say, a CW show, which is not able to do as much of the crazy stuff without doing a lot more thought on how they present it and what the reaction might be because of network censors and network sort of boundaries that come with being on network television. And if they're going to engage in the conversation of who is right and who is wrong in any given place it needs to come from it needs to come in more of a thoughtful way and not in a melodramatic way 13 reasons why i had a lot of melodrama maybe that's compelling to somebody who's 16 to 24 but it doesn't compel anybody i think that would be older reason number five the acting, it is ultimately uneven. I think Dylan Minnette did a great job. I did Catherine Langford, who played Hannah Baker, did a great job. Devin Druid is kind of the unspoken MVP, I think. 
He played Tyler. He was so, so good and so heartbreaking at so many different points. And I largely followed the rest of the seasons for him and for some of these other characters. I also really like Tony played by Christian Navarro. I think he added a sense of sincerity and groundedness that the show lacked. And he was consistently good across all the seasons because he brought in some other dimensions, multicultural dimensions, as well as class dimensions, because he was not rich. He was he was an immigrant, a migrant, if you will. He also brought in some of the LGBTQ pieces in a, in a nice way, a well-framed way. Again, not for for the sake of doing so, it just was part of this, the tapestry of the story. So he was good too. And then the best adult was Kate Walsh, who played Hannah's mom. She was only in the first two seasons, with a special appearance in the third season. Of all of the parents, she probably was the most compelling and engaging because she had the most emotional connection to the adolescent characters being the mom of the, essentially, the girl who takes her own life. Not as impressed with Alicia Bow, who played Jessica. Not as impressed with Brandon Flynn. He had really good moments, but I felt like he was uneven and inconsistent. And then the rest of the characters were also, they just felt so over the top at some times. You know, I, I think they tried their best, and it may not even be them. It could have been episode directing as well, but the acting in the end is kind of uneven. It's really going to come down to who you believe in the end. And if you're only believing half of the cast, that's going to make the show feel messy as well. Reason number six, seasons three and four serviced nothing with the story. It feels like by the end of the series, we were meant to believe that the focus of the whole show was really Clay Jensen. And if that's true, great, but then it should have started that way. But they couldn't have started it that way because the book was about Hannah. I think the writers, maybe they must have been caught by surprise or caught off guard with the season renewal the series renewal for season two. Ultimately, I don't think they handled the long form storytelling very well. I don't think season three or four added anything to the story with the exception of two key elements. It developed Clay and Justin's brotherly bond, which might have been the most touching, especially because, spoiler, Justin dies of what is ultimately a drug overdose. Also, it gave Tyler some resolution. And I think he ends up being the most compelling side character. Other than that, I, I don't think that seasons three or four, I think the rest of the panelists were right to leave when they did. Reason number seven. These kids get away with some deeply disturbed shit. They have no consequences, seemingly. There might be some rehab for Justin. There might be some suspension for Clay because he has some violent outbursts. There might be other things like that. But it they don't meditate on that stuff, so it doesn't feel realistic. And it feels trashy. And my thought of it is, if you want trashy, there are other teen properties out there that do it better. Try any version of Beverly Hills 90210. You're going to get all the same topics, after school special type of topics, but you're going to get it in a way that doesn't feel self-aggrandizing like this series does. Reason number eight. The show doesn't even keep the 13 reasons mechanic. Okay, there's cassette tapes, 13 of them. There's 13 Polaroids. There's 13 evidence files, I guess, is what season three is. And then the last season has 10 episodes. Why was there even a number se a season number four? And you don't even follow the story. You're not doing it right. That shouldn't have, hap shouldn't have happened. You didn't maintain the mechanic, so I give you a D minus show. Reason number nine. The show started off with an interesting strategy. Here we're going to load the soundtrack 
with music from Gen X Heyday. It's going to be, you know, a lot of new wave, new age, alternative songs from the 80s, possibly the 90s. Many of them as covers. So other artists covering these songs. Recognizable, theoretically, to who would be the parents of these Generation Z characters. These post-millennial characters. With the idea, I would hope that the Gen X parents would connect via the music and see how their experiences compared when they were kids in school to the experiences of their kids today. That would have been an interesting angle. And it felt like it was starting to go down that road with the trajectory of season one. But the show fails to connect the parents better into the story. You know, the only two set of parents that really appear the most are Clay's parents. And they just feel like helpless against the tide of their their biological son's deteriorating mental health in light of everything he's been experiencing. And then they take on Justin, who's addicted to drugs because his mom got him addicted to drugs because she was addicted to drugs. The parents felt like the really good tunnel point to make this a family watch with a family conversation. Even if it wasn't family sitting down together, the teens watched it and the parents watched it from behind and they Maybe talk about it at the dinner table. But why would anybody do that? There was so much potential here beyond what they presented in the first season if they were going to continue. But they didn't know how to capitalize on that potential and they didn't know how to. I don't think I would be very surprised if this show appealed to viewers older than the age of, say, 35. And I think 35 would be stretching it. And I am not 35. I'm older than 35. And I I kept in it. I did like the music. I don't personally have kids, but it, it just it would have lost me even if I did. Reason number 10. This high school, granted it was a an upper level socioeconomic high school, however many different types of people attended it, yet it was arguably diverse, but it was, was not very diverse and it would skirt issues of race and cultural concerns and ethnic concerns and privilege, but fell significantly short of taking on that topic. And This was in addition to all of the superficial topics that they had started and failed to finish. Ultimately, if you were hoping that 13 Reasons Why tackled things in any kind of meaningful way, apart from sexual misconduct and sexual assault, and even then it's very messy, it fails to do that. So I just felt, again, this comes back to lack of capitalized potential, but it doesn't handle this conversation very well either, even though racial and cultural topics are broached throughout the series. Reason number 11, the conversation around gun violence was too sloppy to be a conversation. It's obviously a concern to today's teens, whether or not you believe in guns, the Second Amendment, and whatever. It's obviously an epidemic that concerns today's teens because it so often happens in schools. And yet the show broached it and felt and it felt very much like a chicken chicken out, chicken away from it, probably because it couldn't handle the topic. It should never have even been brought up. And the way it was felt sensationalized, felt trashy, felt like they were doing it for the sake of doing it without really knowing what to do with it. Sloppy. Reason number 12. The dialogue and the pacing were patchy. The dialogue itself was kind of cheesy in spots. The after school special comparison is about the best I can give you. It was not me who did it. I think Emily was the one who mentioned it. And that's because of how the dialogue is written, particularly in the seasons following the first one and how it's delivered. Which comes back to some of the cast performances. It could be 
direction on the episodes. Sometimes it just felt so melodramatic. And it totally, the show was so off for that. Like Riverdale has some cheesy dialogue, but Riverdale itself is cheesy and it knows it. It's kind it knows what it is and it leans into that. 13 Reasons Why, by the end, didn't know what it was. So how would they know how to convey it through dialogue? Reason number 13. The dialogue around Clay's mental health should have been developed earlier. An argument can be made that they didn't know how to handle Clay's reaction to Hannah and to the things around him, and that that's pretty normal. But they also let him spiral in a way that added to the melodrama. And it really could have been a better bookend if Clay's journey was paralleled to Hannah's confessions, and then those loops were closed, even with maybe a cameo guest appearance by Katherine Langford in the fourth season to bookend the series. And that might be a personal preference thing, but I just feel like they were the center of the show. So much of it just meandered off into the supporting characters, and I get it, they had a lot of characters to service and to sort of explore, but the whole reason why you watch 13 Reasons Why is because it is Hannah's story that starts it. But Clay becomes the focus by the end, and I think a case can be made that both of them are the focus and should have been the focus from moment one to moment, whatever the last moment is. So then it comes down to what I recommend 13 Reasons Why to anyone. And quite honestly, the others were generous to recommend the first season or even parts of the second. I'm going to flat out tell you no. I do not recommend 13 Reasons Why. Not to anybody, not even to teens. I think that you will come away feeling unsatisfied. I think you will come away feeling even frustrated or mad because it started off as one thing and ended as something not completely different, but different enough that it feels like this niggling, unsatisfied feeling kind of permeates that last season. I didn't even get into the character of Ani, who's very divisive. I don't mind Ani. I think that the actress does as well as she can with this character. But as a replacement point of view character, theoretically... For Hannah, it was a mistake, I think, to bring her on board because there was no reason to connect with her character because she was literally brand new. She had the, she actually has kind of the design of your classic jump the shark kind of character. Somebody new that they have to shoehorn into the action because they've lost kind of a main character that is the reason why everybody's watching and they're not the same character. And there are parts of Ani, again, around race and culture, around class, that if there were better writers behind the property, they could have kind of blossomed a little bit more into the story. They started down those roads, but it just got so convoluted and wrapped up in Bryce and in some of these other characters. She also dates Clay. And it's just, I can't recommend this show to anybody. So many of the people I know didn't finish it. And since what this final thoughts really is about is whether or not I think people should finish the show. If you stopped watching, the answer is no. But I would say don't even start. I'm not mad at it. I'm not disappointed by it. I'm not surprised by it. Ultimately, I just don't think it's worth it. I don't necessarily regret the hours I've spent on it because I like the music, if nothing else. I had a good soundtrack. I was able to go to Spotify and pull some soundtracks up, some playlists. But the story itself 
such as it is, is just not satisfying in the end. And so my final thoughts always come with a final grade because my day job is kind of in the educational setting. And so I like to award grades to things. I would give 13 Reasons Why a C- minus on a curve. I'm going to give it the curve because of the soundtrack, because there are some earnest performers in this cast, because there was a good first season. But this is a classic case of had all the vim and verve and energy and enthusiasm to drive that first season into something pretty promising, but then kind of, I don't know, phoned it in for the remaining seasons so that it basically was a barely passing average kind of grade. And I graded it on a curve, like I said, for the for the reasons that I listed. Some of it was good. Some of it wasn't good. 13 reasons why. That's what I got. There's nothing else I can say. I'm giving it a C minus and no official recommendation from Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point. So that's a wrap on 13 reasons why. Do you agree with my final thoughts? Do you disagree? I can take it. Let me have it. Did you even watch the whole show? I really want to know that. Find us on social media, Facebook at CPU Podcast on Twitter and at Couch Potatoes Unite on Instagram. Let us know. You can multitask while we're rolling the official credits. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point was produced by Back Pocket Productions run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piet. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kels played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book by email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at couchpotatoesunite, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, 13 Reasons Why is available to stream on Netflix, as that is the network that made it. Not that we're saying it all the time. In the meantime, if you have nominations for shows we should cover on our podcast, contact us via social media or our email. You can volunteer to be a panelist, too. In the meantime, and until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening. Keep watching. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.